0: One of the greatest joys of being a priest, apart from being able to stand at the altar and offer the sacrifice of the Mass to confect the Eucharist, is hearing confessions. And one of my favorite occasions in the confessional, and I say this in the most general sense possible so as to respect the seal of confession, is when someone comes and they make the best confession they possibly can and just spill everything out, and this is what I've done wrong. And every time we go to confession, we bring this heaviness with us. Because we know we've messed up, we know we've done wrong, we know, we, we know we've chosen against God. And there's this heaviness and God forbid, some of us, we feel this shame that, you know, I'm what's wrong. This sin defines me because again and again and again, I'm bringing it to the confessional. Well, it never fails, especially for those who come after years and years of being away from the confessional. There's this peace, there's this grace, there's this transformation that takes place. And if they go face to face, a lot of times you can see it. They lighten up, they take a deep breath, there's this little smile almost. There's peace and there's joy and there's mercy because healing has taken place. Hopefully, they've encountered Jesus Christ and not me, not the priest. And I think of that every time I read this gospel because it brings us to that very last line, which is my favorite that St. Matthew writes in the gospel today. That having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed for their country by another way. What does that have to do with confession? They encountered Jesus Christ and they were changed. I know it's a practical thing. They went a different way because if had they gone back to Herod, they might have gotten killed. Jesus would have been killed. It would have caused a mass chaos more than already had happened with the slaughter of the innocents. But there's a beauty to it because I think the spiritual reality is to say that the Magi departed for their country by another way, meaning they encountered Jesus Christ and they went home differently. They didn't go back the same way they were. They didn't go back and going into the same sins. They didn't go back just as if, oh yeah, we took this little field trip, we saw this cute little baby and his mama in the house, and we gave him some gifts, and now we're going back home. They were radically changed. And we know that because Matthew says that they prostrated themselves and did him homage. To prostrate yourself is literally to lay down face face first on the floor. To lay down everything. To pour out your very life to the one who's before you. That's what a man does at his ordination in his cathedral, laying on the cathedral floor, pouring out himself before he's ordained a deacon or a priest. That's what the magi do to the Lord because they recognized who that child was. But that is the spectacular aspect of this feast day. We celebrate this epiphany. Yes, it's technically winding down the Christmas season. We finish tomorrow after the celebration of the baptism of the Lord. But centuries ago in the church, Christmas was very important and it was a big celebration. But the bigger celebration was the epiphany. Because something important is reminded to us every year when we celebrate this feast. We hear in the readings for Christmas Day, one of the 16,000 different reading choices we can choose sometimes, that we always hear about the shepherds, who the angels popped into the sky, sang the songs of praise, said, go to Bethlehem and you're going to find the Christ child, the Messiah, he's here. The shepherds were good Israelites. The shepherds knew what that meant. They were anticipating and warning the Messiah. That was a good thing. But these magi, these wise men, these kings, whatever you want to call them, they were not. They weren't Israelites. They were actually priests of a pagan religion. And I don't say that in a degrading way. They were pagans. Scholars today say that they, were, they, they have reason to believe that these were three priests of the Zoroastrianist religion from the east. Then the more you look into it, there's actually a lot of similarities between that pagan religion in the Judean religion, the Jews. They believe in good and evil. They believe that we do bad things, that we call it sin, they call it whatever. They believe that we know we need this help, but that they believe in this one God, this almighty, he, she, it, whatever, their God they know is gonna come and give them some kind of fulfillment. He's gonna fix something. There's gonna be some kind of relief starts to make sense as to why this is such an incredible feast, that these pagans, these Gentiles, these non-Jews, the Lord appeared even for them. Even for them. We're reminded every Epiphany Sunday that the Lord comes for each of us, but he comes for the entire world, not just the Catholics, not just the Christians, not just the Jews, but each and every soul on this planet. We're reminded of that to recognize that we are part of a greater church, a greater plan of salvation. We got back at 2.30 yesterday morning uh, with 140 of our students and staff from Christ the King from up in St. Louis for the National Seek Conference with Focus, this national conference which was incredible. I have no uh, qualms in admitting that I cried each day walking out of Mass because you have 400 priests just in this Mass Exodus trying to get through the procession, and it's beautiful. What's even more beautiful is the people standing in the aisles just kind of waving and smiling and taking pictures because they've never seen so many priests. I've never seen that many priests. I didn't know the world had 400 priests. (laughs) But what's even more beautiful is when you're looking out into this stadium in St. Louis, you see 17,000 young souls who chose to be there. 17 people who had a radical Encounter with Jesus Christ and chose to give up a week of their time, a week of their Christmas break, to go and to encounter Him yet again, to see Him yet again, to love Him yet again. And I dare anybody who comes with this, oh, Father, your generation don't go to church, will come to a Sikh conference and see thousands upon thousands who do. We're part of a universal church that the Lord comes for. That's why the Epiphany was always this bigger celebration in the church. Yes, he fulfilled the promise for the Messiah, but he comes for all of us, Jew and Gentile, Christian and pagan. The beauty in this story of the Magi is that they sought the Lord with a sincere heart. One of my favorite Eucharistic prayers after the consecration of the bread and wine to become the body and blood of Christ, it prays for the entire church. Starting at the top, we pray for our Pope, for our bishops, for the clergy, for all who are here, those who are not at the table. But my favorite part of it is the very last piece that said, And all who seek you with sincerity of heart. All who seek you, Lord, with sincerity of heart. We know and believe as Christians that our hearts are created by God Almighty to know and to love and to serve him. Whether we recognize it or not, he is the one we seek when we sin. He is the one we seek when we cry out in pain and agony and suffering, physical, mental, emotional, whatever it may be. He's the one we seek because he's the one who can heal. When we seek him in sincerity of heart, we will find him one way or another. The Magi sought him with sincerity of heart. That's why Matthew says they were overjoyed when they saw the star again resting over that place because it led them to their answer. But they didn't stop there. They offered their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh and those mean very specific things and what that says about Jesus. You're going to get that homily next epiphany. We'll stick with this one this year. But there's a reality that when we encounter Jesus Christ as the Magi did, we should be radically transformed. We should be changed. Why would we want to go back home the same way? Why would we want to go back to our former way of life, to our sin, to our despair, to all these things that we try to fulfill this void in our hearts that just leave us more and more empty, more thirsty, more longing, with more hunger, Jesus is our answer and Jesus Christ alone. He comes to us today in this Christmas season. When we celebrate seasons in the church, it's always one of preparation, yeah, but it's one of transformation. We started Advent to watch and to pray and to prepare and anticipate the coming of Christ. That ended when Christmas came. Okay, great, Christmas is here. Now we have a season of Christmas because we see the Christ child and we let that permeate the depths of who we are. Now we come to the end of that season with the epiphany that he came for all of us. No matter how far long gone we seem to be, no matter how holy we think we are, he came for each of us. Soon we'll be in the throes of the Lenten season again, where we recognize yet again that we need a Savior again and again and again. We need someone to come and show the glory of God again and again and again. We celebrate the Triduum, he rises on Easter. We celebrate Easter for 50 solid days until Pentecost, when the apostles came to life in the Spirit and were sent out. Living a sacramental life for the church should transform us because that is where we find our Lord. That is where we find our God. This epiphany, this revelation, this discovery of God manifests for us the almighty power of the one who is omnipotent, all-powerful is omnipresent, always present, is all-knowing, and is almighty, but is still gentle and humble, so as to know us, to call us, to choose us, and to cherish us. When we find him and seek him with sincerity of heart, we're gonna find him, and we're gonna be transformed, and we're gonna be healed, and we're gonna have grace and joy, and all these different things that our hearts long for, and thirst for he looks out from his crib he looked out from the lap of his mother in this house to the magi and he transformed them he cherished them he adored them as they adored him we ask that same question as the magi did where is this newborn king of the jews where is this savior where is the Messiah, this Redeemer, this King that's supposed to come in to fix all of my problems and save me and just make everything better? Where is this King? Where is he? Brothers and sisters, whether you can see him or not, he is in your midst. He's in our tabernacles. Shortly, when the host is elevated, that will be the same flesh of Jesus that the Magi adored 2,000 years ago. He's in the confessional. He's within your heart that he created as a throne for himself. Welcome him in. Let him in. Give him that freedom to move and to speak, to heal you. Where is this newborn king of the Jews? He's with you. Don't keep him shut up. Don't keep him quiet. Let him go out into the world and to lead you as a star led the Magi. Let him transform you. Let him bring you from this place with sincerity of heart yet again to seek him anew in your workplaces, in your schools, in your homes, in your friends, yes, even your enemies. We sing these songs throughout the Christmas season and they should be joyful. But on this last full day of Christmas, we remind ourselves of what the season really is all about. Not just for the Jews, not just the Israelites, not just for those who knew what to look for, but for all of those who seek him with sincerity of heart. Joy, absolute joy to the world, for yes, the Lord has come. At long, long last, earth has finally received her king. Thank you for listening. The ministry here at CTK is made possible through our generous donors and golden givers. If you would like to learn more or partner with Christ the King on LSU's campus, please visit ctklsu.org.